May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in high school, I was uh, studying at a coffee shop in, in College Station one day, and a man walked over to my table and asked me, if you died right now, where would you go? And I, I was a good, old, good church-going boy, and I was like, well, I, I hope I go to heaven. We ended up having a nice conversation. I don't really appreciate a lot of that confrontational evangelism um, of, of putting someone on the spot. I, I usually don't answer the best when I'm put on the spot like that, but it's a, it's a good, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. It's a good question. What happens after you die? There's a lot of assumptions about it in churches, a lot of assumptions about it with, with Christians, a lot of assumptions that aren't necessarily built on, on the Bible. My hope is to be with God through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, and heaven is a, is a shorthand for that. Christians all over the world believe in heaven. But the language of heaven was surprisingly limited in the early church and the Christians right after the life of Jesus. They don't talk about heaven a lot in the early church. The Apostles' Creed mentions um, heaven in two places, when uh, God created the heavens and the earth in the very beginning, and then when Jesus, after the resurrection, ascends into heaven. It doesn't mention heaven at the end. It was the flesh that was healed and made whole and holy for all eternity. Heaven, as the resting place of those who die to the early Christians, would have sounded a lot like the pagan notion of Elysium um, in the Roman pantheon, or Mount Olympus in the Greek pantheon, or another pagan cosmological location. Yet over the last 1,700 years, the primary Christian vision of life after death has is not the one that comes from the Bible, but from the cultural imagination. What do we do with this? The Bible talks about heaven, but heaven is not as so important as a dogmatic thing. It's not an aspect of the early creeds. What does it mean to believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting? My friends, we are finishing our series on the Apostles' Creed. It's been a long journey. This historic doctrinal statement of faith going from I believe in God the Father Almighty to today I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, how God reveals God's self and we can understand God's love for us through these words. The Bible talks about eternal life in a number of occasions. We have great passages like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or in Romans, but God's gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or in Peter, where it says, you have been born anew into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you have a pure and enduring inheritance which cannot perish. An inheritance that is kept safe. That is kept safe for you. That is kept safe in heaven for you. Jesus is in, is in heaven. That's what, what the ascension is about. And, and believing, he ascended into the heavens. But it says nothing about us. Peter continues, through Christ's faithfulness, you are guarded by God's power so that you can receive the salvation he is ready to reveal. Jesus also tells the thief on the cross, today I will see you in paradise. Paradise. 
And this language of, of paradise is in the Bible usually is referring back to the very beginning, to creation, to the Garden of Eden. It's not a future thing, it's a past thing. It is not the language of an ethereal place in the clouds. The history of why contemporary Christians speak more of going to heaven than bodily resurrection is a long story with an excessive number of tangents um, from which I don't believe I could ever return. But my hope is not to tell that story nor paint a picture of an either or that it's either like either we go to heaven or it's bodily resurrection and never the twain shall meet. But I hope is to point out that the Bible and the early church had a certain emphasis on the bodily nature of eternal life that has a deep impact on how we treat each other and how we treat our world. The Bible talks about resurrection, like I said, in a number of places, but mostly in images, usually not in direct things. This is what it will be like. Instead, we have images like Isaiah 25. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible on this mountain. The Lord of heavenly forces will prepare from all peoples a rich feast of choice wines, of select foods, rich in flavor of choice wines, well refined. So we have wine in the resurrection. I don't know how teetotalers read this. Somehow they did. Choice wine, not just any kind of wine. I think we need to understand when Jesus in John 2, when he, he turns the water into wine at the wedding at Cana, he's pointing more to this than to weddings in general. He's pointing to our future with God. By turning water into wine, Jesus is pointing to the life of abundance that awaits us, that his coming kingdom offers to us. The new creation it's like a party, like a feast, but it doesn't get old. That's the image I hold on to. Imagine the best party you've ever been to, but you don't get tired, you don't get bloated, you don't have to talk to annoying people. It's amazing. You just have fun. Conversation is never boring. The music is always fresh. But a party without bodies is not really a party. You can't have like a virtual party, a virtual birthday party. I mean, many of us did over the last three years had to have a virtual birthday party, see our friends. It's nice to see faces. It's nice to have a group chat. It's not the same thing. You know, some of you were, were disconnected from family for many years. It's, it's one thing to see a face. It's another to hold a hand, to give a hug. There's never a point in the Bible where our bodies don't matter. Our will matters, our heart matters, our spirit matters, but our bodies also matter. Our future with God is not just as disembodied spirits freed from the shackles of this world, as many people portray. Paul in Romans 6 states clearly the way of salvation, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart you have faith that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, you are not saved from your body. Your body and your soul and your everything will be cleansed, will be healed, will be renewed, reborn. It all goes back to Easter and resurrection. Paul says, if we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united in a resurrection like his. 
To say I believe in the resurrection of the body is to believe in Christ's resurrection. It is to believe that Christ's resurrection also points to the possibility of our own. To believe in life everlasting is not to believe in just something in the future that may be nice, but that that future has already begun. And we can be a part of it. To believe in the resurrection of the body is to believe in what the Bible says about our future. A Christian's hope is not just consolation for pain in this world as if the brokenness of this world was just simply a testing ground to see if we were good enough for life with God. The life of faith is not just a simply a series of qualifying tests to see if we have what it takes for a heavenly reward. Humans have an amazing ability to sneak in works righteousness in, in surprising ways. But, but grace is a radical thing. Grace is a radical thing. And grace, not just for our ideas, not just for our soul, but for ourselves, whole. But even more radical is the notion that our future with God is not just in the future. Our bodies and our life can already be healed and redeemed. And we need our bodies. We are not ourselves without our bodies. They are not simply prisons from which our real self can emerge. There are other religions that, that believe that, but not the Christians of the Bible. And so, alas, we are stuck with this tension because our bodies also show the fallenness and brokenness of the world. Our cuts and scrapes, our sicknesses, our ailments. It would seem to be simpler to forsake our bodies in this world. Paul goes through this tension and this challenge often. He writes in, in Philippians, it is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's grace, greatness will be seen in my body, now as always, whether I live or die. Because for me, living serves Christ, and dying is even better. If I continue to live in this world, I get results from my work, but I don't know what I prefer. I'm torn between the two because I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is far better. However, it's more important for me to stay in this world for your sake. I'm sure of this. I will stay alive and remain with you all and help your progress and the joy of your faith and to increase your pride in Jesus Christ. Notice he is talking about his body with this. I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body. In my body. As well, the reason why he stays in the world is for the sake of others. For the sake of others. Our bodies, our spirits, our minds, they are not made for ourselves and our own benefit. God saves us for a purpose. In baptism, we die in Christ's death in order to rise in Christ's life. The life, again, of a party that does not get old. That life of praise and love where our hope is found in Christ and not ourselves. In Christ's word and not our own preference or experience. In, in 2 Corinthians, Paul comes at this from a different angle. He says, this is why we don't get discouraged, given that we, we received this ministry in the same way that we received God's mercy. Instead, we reject secrecy and shameful actions. We don't use deception and we don't tamper with God's word. Instead, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God and the public announcement of the truth. But we have this treasure in clay pots 
so that the awesome power of God belongs to God and not to ourselves. We are experiencing all kinds of trouble, but we aren't crushed. We are confused, but we aren't depressed. We are harassed, but we aren't abandoned. We are knocked down, but we aren't knocked out. Our bodies are, are clay pots that will crumble and be remade. God, God offers them to us in a way so that we remember that we are not God ourselves. They are dust. They will return to the dust, but they will be remade in a glorious way. To say I believe in the resurrection of the body is to believe not only in Christ's resurrection, but in your own. Christ is making all things new, including you and your body, and your neighbors in their bodies. God will save you and heal you to share in praise and love eternally. The treasure of divine love we will renew and remake the dust of which we were made. This is our hope. The creed begins with the beginning of everything and God's power there. The creed ends with our ultimate hope, not in ourselves but in Christ's resurrection that points to our own future. And that future is of abundant life. That future of abundant life is offered now. The light that shines in the darkness is shining here. In the midst of, of the discernment conversations at Bee Creek, Christ's light is shining. I believe in the resurrection of the body, of my body. My, this body of mine will be made knew these broken joints, these sin-stained hands, these eyes and skin and hair, because I believe in the resurrection of Christ's body. He rose from the dead in flesh and sinew and bone. Our history is also on our bodies. Our scars will not be erased. As Thomas saw in the upper room after the resurrection, when he went up, he didn't believe Jesus was actually reborn, so he saw his scars. The scars were not erased. Your scars, our scars will not be erased, they will be healed. The past was not erased and forgotten and removed, it was healed. I believe in the resurrection of this body, God is doing great things here. Life after death is more than a continuation of the status quo. It is our broken bodies being remade and resurrected, and this is offered to you. This is offered to you this day. Take a step into the resurrection path that Christ has blazed for you, let go of preconceptions of your body and your future. Hold fast to God's promise of love that overcomes fear. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may your resurrection inspire our hope and new life here and now. May our faith be in your transformation and not in our own. May our life be in your image and not our own. Help us to live boldly into your new creation and abundant life this day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.